Well, good morning again, church. Glad that you've joined us. I have no Legos in uh, my sermon today. I'm sorry, you just got the fun part, it looks like. But I will uh, ask you this, as we're all online right now, um, and we're talking this morning about what matters, priorities of the heart, really, as we round out this sermon series. So I'm going to ask you to turn to Matthew chapter 6, starting at verse 19. 24 is our key passage. You can find it on your phone, too, if you're using the YouVersion app. It's right there under events, if you're using that. But uh, as you're finding that, and you're online, answer this question, if you would. What is one small indulgence that you have? You know, something that, the kind of thing where you take a break from reality for just a moment to play a casual game, sneak away and eat a piece of chocolate, as we still have it stashed away in some cases from uh, Halloween. Uh, What is one indulgence? I'll tell you one that I discovered recently, and fortunately they're out of the house now. Um, We discovered uh, a way that Twizzlers could be more sugary with the filled Twizzlers. I like them. That's an indulgence I discovered, and I'm glad I don't have any more because I'll just keep eating them. So answer that. What's one indulgence you have? Because the thing about it is, we can have these simple indulgences that are a, a little break from reality, but sometimes we can get sucked into them as if they rule over us. And that's part of what Jesus is talking about in Matthew 6. Um, when I was growing up, we had a, uh, dogs all the time growing up. We had one particular, one of the last dogs we had growing up, um, that uh, one morning it got a whole, a lot of food just ended up in the bowl for whatever reason. And uh, it just started eating because it had that instinct to eat. There's food. I should eat the food. And it kept eating and eating and eating until it obviously got full. And then it kind of looked back at us like, do I have to keep eating? But yet it still kept eating because the instinct was so strong. So what should have been just a normal meal became just an awful experience. We took the food away eventually. Uh, from the dog, but she wouldn't have stopped on her own. And sometimes those indulgences can get that way. We live with so much stuff, sometimes we don't have the right priorities on where our love should be. We have closets full of clothes, and yet we'll exclaim, I have nothing to wear. We have pantries full of food, and yet we'll say, I have nothing to eat. Our appetites can get out of control and out of whack. We can get misprioritized in what really matters and what the love of our heart really should be and what matters in this life and matters to God. And specifically within that vein, we've been speaking about generosity over these last few weeks, which should develop in us if we follow Jesus Christ. Because God is by nature generous, and we should be uh, being remade into that image if we follow Jesus. We should become more generous if we follow Jesus. It turns out, though, the reality that Jesus has been telling us through Matthew 6 is you are what you love, and we got to choose a love that lasts, and we can love the wrong things, and when we start to love the wrong things when it comes to generosity, the opposite of being generous is being selfish and being greedy, and quite often that exemplifies itself or, or comes out in our lives through things like materialism, the stuff and the things around us are what we love too much. The late Warren Wearsby uh, said, commenting on this passage, he said, materialism enslaves the heart, the mind, and the will. And so now if we go back to our, our text, Matthew 6, go to verse 19. Jesus says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. 
But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Right? We can be enslaved in our mind to the things of this world if we're not careful, or in our heart, excuse me, in our heart. That is what we love gets captured and captivated by things in this world. Jesus goes on, verse 22, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are, are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Right? What, what we dwell on in our heart can also be the thing that we dwell on in our mind, and that's what starts to come out because we're thinking about it, we're loving it, and that's captivating all of who we are. And then Jesus rounds it out this week with verse 24. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. It will captivate our will, ultimately, if it's captivated our heart and our mind. That is the action of our body. We will do what we think about and what we love in real action. Jesus has been telling us, you are what you love, so choose a love that lasts. And today, with verse 24, he lays it out on the line, really. What are you going to choose? That's what he puts out there for us. And I will give you this uh, heads up now. At the end of the message today, there's a, a challenge that we can take some time to confess those things that captivate our heart that shouldn't. So let's look at what God's intent is, and we're going to have to go back a little bit in history in order to do that. In the ancient world, both Jesus' time and well before that, but in Jesus' time particularly uh, with uh, sort of what's called the Roman Empire and a a Greek uh, understanding of the world, gods were everywhere. Now, they weren't real gods, but they were everywhere. You step out of the house, and you've already encountered a handful of gods or ruling powers of the universe or something, and that worked that way in a lot of the ancient world. People believed that gods were all over the place doing things. If we go back, way back, uh, into the Old Testament, into the days of the Exodus, the pivotal story of the Old Testament, we can see that there's a war between gods, the one true God, and a whole bunch of fake gods that goes on even there. And God reveals himself as powerful over all forces of this world and over all believed forces that are outside of the, the existing, uh, the visible world, those supposed gods. God reveals his power in the plagues, God reveals his power in freeing the people from Egypt and taking them across dry land by parting the Red Sea. God reveals his power by folding the water back over the Red Sea on the Egyptian army. God reveals his power by feeding his people in the desert and giving them water. And what's the response from his people? They have a hard time mentally coming around to the fact that God's the only God and that there aren't other gods that are competing out there. So even while the law is being given... To their leader Moses, they're making a golden calf to worship another god. It's a hard lesson to learn, to put their heart only towards the one true God, to one Lord. But what Moses is bringing down, the first commandment is from Exodus uh, 20, verse 3. It's God 101 is what they're being instructed. You shall have no other gods before me. They get that instruction after they've been rescued. I mean, that's ground level, basic. Who you should serve, who you should worship. No other gods before me. None, other, none exist. Don't worship anything else. 
Don't give your heart over to anything else, God is saying. Just about 40 years later, there's a review that happens in the book of Deuteronomy. God 101 in review where they're told, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Reminder, you're only supposed to worship one God, and he's the only God anyways. He's your Lord. And they're told, specifically as this goes on, to impress this information on your kids, tie it to your right hand, to your forehead, put it on the door frames of your houses. Some people still literally do this today so that they will not forget that God is the only God and God is their God, the object of worship and the only object of our worship. Hold on to that thought for a moment then. We're going to come back to it. Come back to the text. There are three words I want to highlight for us right now and one that will come up later. So I've got four total words for you this morning. First is, it says, Jesus says, no one can serve two masters. It's really Lord is, is the appropriate word that could be put in there. Maybe your translation has that. It means master. That's why the translation says master. But what it ultimately means is the one who has authority. And it would be the one who has authority over us. You, can, you can't serve two people that have authority. One has authority or the other has authority. You can envision the idea of authority in military terms, right? A private first class does not tell a general what to do. It goes the other way, right? There's a chain of command. You can consider it in family uh, terms. I would suggest to you that, uh, although uh, often forgotten, the person in an extended family who has the most authority in a family structure are grandmas, whether they realize it or not. Grandmas can set the tone for a conversation and ask questions nobody else can ask. That's authority. You shall have no other authority, or, or, excuse me, you, you give in to one of these authorities when you make something your Lord. What does it mean to make God your Lord? Then it means God's authority means his way is my way and his heart is my heart, not the other way around because we easily try and reverse this. We easily try and baptize our own actions and say, God will probably be cool with this and accept me. But no, in fact, God is saying, no, you need to renew your heart and you need to renew your will so it beats with mine and works with mine. Otherwise, you're living under somebody else's authority. You cannot serve two masters. Second, that word serve that we have to point out, it really is a, a word that means slave or household slave or household servant in the ancient world. And the key stress of the word is on the idea of dependence, that the servant is dependent on the master in that case for survival. When you apply that into our specific passage here as we look at this, if God is your Lord, the one over authority, the question is, is he the one who calls a shot or something else? Are we actually dependent on him to do that? Or are we dependent on something else to tell us how to live this life and what we love? The third word is a really interesting one. It got translated in my translation simply as money. You cannot love both God and money. But this is one of those places where the New Testament was written in Greek, but Jesus spoke Aramaic, and this is one of those few Aramaic words that just comes right in, untranslated, uh, into the original Greek. It's mammon, an Aramaic word uh, that before the time of Jesus simply meant the proceeds of a sale of property, basically money, cash value. But by the time of Jesus, it had a negative implication. By the time of Jesus, it meant uh, when money has some kind of authority or property has some kind of authority over you. You're guided by that. Simply by the profit you can get rather than 
in relationships with God and with other humans. We can be enslaved to a lot of things. The Apostle Paul talks about it a number of times. In Romans 6, uh, Paul specifically talks, starting at verse 5, he says, For if we have been united with him in a death like his, that's Jesus Christ, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. I said, hold on to that stuff we talked about with the Exodus before. If we consider that, all of that takes place 1,200 plus years before Jesus. The Exodus, uh, giving the command to worship only one God. It wasn't new information, we should point out. Uh, This is still review, even when they got the Ten Commandments. But 1,200 years later, what's Jesus talking about? The same problem, worshiping one God and not letting your heart go to other gods. And what are we talking about today, 2,000 years later? The same problem. Why? Because we can give our love over to other things constantly. We can love the wrong things and get enslaved to the stuff of this world over what God wants for us and over that relationship with God materialism, stuff, possessions, that enslaves us if we're not careful. And so it can, we can become slaves to ourself. That's pride, quite simply. Get more interested in what I want out of this life, right? My appetites are the most important. My advancement is the most important. My control, my money, I become my own God. I'll do whatever it takes to get ahead, and I'll step on whoever I need to to get ahead. Maybe we wouldn't say it so overtly, but but we can get that way if we're attached to the things of this world and slaves to the things of this world. We can become, uh, and our advancement really is what that is, we can become attached and slaves to money, quite specifically. The numbers in our bank account or what's in our wallet and the cards and all that goes with that. And greed, we're told in the New Testament, is idolatry. We are worshiping another god when we get greedy, over and above the one true God. We begin, if we're in that category, to believe that money buys happiness, and happiness becomes the appetite we feed and worship in all ways. It becomes our God. And we end up trading our very soul for that thing or those things, for a lesser Lord. You know, and about within the next couple weeks, we'll start to see sort of the, the quintessential, the, the very embodiment of what that greed looks like in Ebenezer Scrooge as all various versions of uh, that, that come on TV or you read uh, the book again. And that seems like it's a little off, you know, a caricature maybe, but we've met people who have that kind of greed perhaps. But you can also imagine that sometimes we do this with God when it comes to the stuff of this world. You know, imagine if you would a human relationship where you have a, a father or a mother who's very loving in this life who puts in 18 years in the home of of raising you and bringing you up, and at the end of that time, you say, you know what, I want to show you my thanks. Here's a 20, Mom. Here's a 20, Dad. I'll see you when I need you at the next major event. But yet we kind of do that with God sometimes, where we're kind of dismissive because other things capture our heart. And we can see this uh, with... um, We can see this with... uh, kids uh, as they grow up sometimes 
Um, I've seen this many times where uh, parents are getting old and the adult children of the kids, they don't, they don't want to take care of them anymore. The greed has taken over. Maybe the inheritance is what they're interested in. Or we can see this with sometimes even in, in more tightly knit family structures, mom and dad are more interested in what they want than what the kids want, or vice versa, it can happen. We can become slaves to money. And we can become slaves to stuff. Right? Greed. Lust for things. Gluttony. Just an over-satiated appetite for those things. And one area that I think gets undervalued in this, that where we can value too much the things of this world are things like sentimentality and tradition. And I have no problem with people being sentimental or I have no problem with people uh, recognizing tradition. There are great traditions out there that we should recognize and in the church we do. We need to recognize important traditions. But where it can take over is, is if you imagine like the, the kid becomes, uh, turns 16, takes out the car and crashes the car and the parents are like, well, is the car okay is the first question. That's when we value the stuff more than the people. That's when our first love has been taken over. Or in church settings, where we're more concerned about doing a certain event rather than fulfilling the mission. We've missed the point. It can happen. Sentimentality, tradition. And what happens when we give into greed and lust and gluttony is it leads to things like laziness and apathy and low standards and a wimpy hope. So once we get to that point, here's the thing. Things, money, that lust for power even, cannot withstand the tough questions of life, the struggles of life, and the joys of this life. It can't actually answer those things. We'll keep looking for happiness and looking for joy through those things and never finding them and falling short of the biggest answers in life and our very meaning. And how would we get to that point? How would we get to the point where we would be ungenerous and mammonized? Well, it's when God becomes an add-on to life and not our central love and our central focus of action in all ways. When we're not living in response to God, but we're dismissing God and living in response to everything else in this world, all of a sudden, everything else matters more. The other way is when we withhold. When we withhold and keep everything to ourselves, believing that it's my possession, not a blessing from the Lord. Believing that the things in my bank account and in my home and the home itself are mine, 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 not God's, God's, God's. We actually, it turns out, have a choice on how we operate and how we reorient our heart towards God when it comes to loving God over anything else and choosing him as Lord. Because the fourth word I wanted to bring up to you is that no one can serve, Jesus says, that word can. Seems small, seems simple, seems like a word we would pass over in English, but it's, it's fascinating that word can is the same word in its original that's used for Jesus' mighty deeds, his miracles, his signs. The Greek word is dunamis, from which we get the word dynamite, boom, power. No one has the power to serve two masters. We should recognize this morning, God has the power to do whatever God wants to do. If God wills it, it will get done. We do not possess that same power. And so here's the question. What power do we possess? 
We have two very powerful things that we can do in this life. One is we can disobey God, do the exact opposite of what he wants, serve a different Lord. The other is we can turn, confess, repent of that, and follow him. We have that power. We have that dynamite power within us to do that in this life. And this morning, I'm going to ask that we take that power and we turn to the Lord. So I'm going to invite the band forward.